This, Maria, 2.4%. Wow. This is the first read, the advanced read, for second quarter GDP. Estimate was only for 1.8%. Talk about a strong economy. Uh, there goes that recession talk, right? And that was Fox News? Fox Business, yep. Oh, Donald Trump's not going to like that one bit. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Delighted to have you here. Uh, So... Uh, we have yet another new award winner, Desi Doyen. Oh, goody. In the uh, corporate media's don't use the word steal when describing Donald Trump's multiple failed efforts <laughs> to steal the 2020 election. Yes, the euphemism Olympics, as it were. Correct. Today's award winner is the New York Times, who in a very short story... Today by Maggie Haberman, Alan Fuhrer, Ben Protest, and Glenn Thrush. I want to make sure they all get credit. I'll get into the details of that story in a bit, but they end the piece this way. Quote, Mr. Trump also faces scrutiny from the district attorney in Fulton County, Georgia, who is investigating his efforts to bend the results of the 2020 (laughs) election in that state in his favor. Bend. It sounds so gentle and kind. Bend bend the results is all he was trying to do. Not at all illegal or anything. I mean, are you kidding me? And I guess that's why they needed, you know, four reporters to figure out how to come (laughs) up with that one. Longtime listeners, of course, will know that I have been very critical of the corporate media and and indeed of Democrats over the past couple of years for referring to what happened in 2020 as Trump's attempt to, uh, you know, quote, overturn the election or reverse the election or over, uh, you know, reverse the results. I think it was The Hill who said uh, to roll back the results, to undo them. Or any other number of uh, euphemistic phrases. Last week, I think AP uh, reported on Trump's effort to 
unravel his loss in 2020, rather than reporting it as simply and directly for what it was. A sitting president of the United States made every effort possible using whatever uh, federal, state, and private tools that he could muster including throwing thousands of his supporters at the U.S. Capitol to violently try and prevent the certification on January 6th. He did all of that in hopes of stealing the election from the American people. That is it. That is what he tried and failed multiple times to do. It's really that simple. To date, Nobody, at least among those who engineered the attempted plots to steal the 2020 election, has been held to account for trying to steal an American presidential election. And I'm not just pointing out the media's ridiculous euphemisms, the euphemism Olympics, as Desi describes (laughs) them. I'm not just pointing that out, uh, you know, to uh, their attempts to avoid that word because I want to be critical of the media. I'm pointing it out. Because I believe it actually makes a difference in the understanding of the American people as to what actually happened in their own country. And it is a failure of the media's constitutionally protected mandate to educate the electorate. It's a failure uh, to do that, to uh, educate the American voters. Because I don't believe that they fully understand this. I don't believe they fully understand what happened. The fact that nobody has yet been held to account for that, for an attempt to steal an election, would likely be far more shocking and disturbing, I think, if the media and, yes, Democrats, Democratic officials, had actually made clear that that is what, had, uh, that that is what happened. A president of the United States tried to steal the last presidential election before our very eyes. He failed, but because we don't call it out for what it is, he is now the the GOP front runner for the next election, despite having attempted blatantly and repeatedly to try to steal the last one, not to roll it back, not to reverse it, not to undo it, not to bend it, but to steal it. Now, if the American people clearly understood what it was that he tried to do, that he wasn't trying to find some legitimate reason to overturn the reported results based on some actual mistallying of results somewhere or some sort of massive election fraud plot that had taken place. Or if he was in the two and a half years since the election, neither he nor any of his supporters have been able to produce even a single shred of evidence that anything close to that actually happened anywhere in the country. Had there been such evidence, of course, he would have presented it. But none has been presented because there is not any after all of these years. So, you know, what they were actually trying to do was not to oversee the results, as we frequently call for on this program and at bradblog.com, not to make sure the results were accurate and that every vote was counted. They were trying to steal a presidential election. Thankfully, they sucked at it, though they did cause a whole lot of damage and even death and a huge cost to a lot of people 
who lost a whole lot of money. Just ask Fox News. And uh, they ruined a whole lot of thoroughly duped rank-and-file supporters' lives, who many of them will be spending years now in jail after actually being convinced that the election was stolen from them, even though the plotters of the election theft knew that it had never actually been stolen from them. That's why they were trying to steal it themselves. If the American people clearly understood that Trump tried to steal the election, I think, they would be a lot more bothered by the fact that none of those who engineered the attempted theft has actually been held to account yet for it. Now, we're beginning to see, in addition to some uh, a thousand or so of those dupes and chumps and otherwise willing suckers who went along with the attempt to steal the election by attacking the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. We're beginning to see at least some accountability for at least parts of the many multiple efforts to steal the election, including the indictments just last week of the 16 fake electors from Michigan who were charged with eight counts each for crimes related to forgery. We're seeing some accountability, finally, at least from uh, some of the slightly lower level dupes. But and, and some of this may be because there's no actual crime that I know of called, you know, election theft, because I don't I don't think the American people yet understand because of that, because there is, you know, nobody has been indicted for stealing an election to date. I don't think the people, the American people yet understand this was an attempt to steal an election from them. And I don't know if special counsel Jack Smith's charges regarding his uh, investigation of January 6 and related matters, related efforts to steal the election. I don't know that uh, that will necessarily make the uh, attempt to steal an election clearer or not once he actually does bring charges, because, as I say, there's no actual crime called, you know, election stealing. So I hope that it becomes more clear from uh, whatever Jack Smith ends up, uh, whatever charges he ends up bringing. But I really don't know for sure. I know that in Fulton County, Georgia, in that conspiracy probe of Trump's attempt to steal the election in that state, not to bend it, but to uh, to steal it. Uh, there is actually a charge available to the uh, district attorney, Fonnie Willis, uh, called something like solicitation to defraud an election. And I think that may be one of the charges that we see in the days ahead. That gets us a little bit closer to helping the American people understand it. Yeah, but it doesn't use the actual words that would actually help, you know, in common sense, common language that would help the public understand Right, it. which is because that's not the way the laws are written. Right. That's not the way the statutes are written. That's why we need the media to call it out for what it is. One of the reasons that uh, Jack Smith's almost certainly coming very soon uh, indictments regarding the election theft may still not necessarily move the opinion needle among the American people is because even if the charges are something like attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, the media and, yes, the Democrats need to make it crystal clear to the American people what this is about, that what we all just witnessed about two and a half years ago now 
for the first time in American history, was a sitting president trying to steal a presidential election. So that's why I believe the language used here matters, because it would change the way people thought about what what is going on and about the accountability for what is going on. And, you know, while I, at least, will continue using the proper language, uh, many in the media and in the Democratic Party just cannot seem to figure that out. As I've noted many times, uh, had the case been reversed, had it been a Democrat attempting to steal an election, the Republican Party definitely would have used that language calling them out for trying to steal the election, and therefore the media and everyone else would have also picked it up and reported it. So Republicans are just better at that than Democrats. All you need to do, by the way, is look back to uh, 2000, some of us who are old enough to remember, when Al Gore did not try to steal the election, but Republicans were still successful in characterizing and framing the Gore-Lieberman campaign's efforts their efforts to make sure that every vote was counted, they were able to characterize that as an attempt to steal to steal the election. They had no compunction, no problem about doing that back then, the Republicans. And so, of course, the media picked that up and reported it when, in fact, it was the Republicans who were actually working to prevent votes, legal, lawful votes from being counted as cast back in 2000. So the GOP framing back then was strong enough that it actually prevented the Gore campaign from various completely legitimate efforts to collect votes that they were entitled to have, and which almost certainly would have swung the contest in Gore's favor and resulted with, you know, in Al Gore, not George W. Bush, in the White House in 2001. And boy, would we be living in a different world today had that happened. So that long uh, preamble out of the way for now, uh, we are now getting very close, it seems, to whatever Jack Smith is going to be newly charging Donald J. Trump and likely many others on Team Trump with surrounding their multiple failed attempts to steal the 2020 election from the actual substance of that brief article that I mentioned that I was critical of in The New York Times today written by four journals, uh, journalists, lawyers for uh, former President Donald J. Trump met on Thursday with officials in the office of the special counsel, Jack Smith, as federal prosecutors edged closer toward bringing an indictment against Mr. Trump in connection with his wide-ranging efforts to overturn the 2020 election. That, according to three people familiar with the matter. His lawyers are meeting uh, Smith or Smith's uh, prosecutors, which all means this is getting very, very close. It was not immediately clear, the Times reports, what subjects were discussed at the meeting or if Mr. Smith himself took part. But similar gatherings are often used by defense lawyers as a last-ditch effort to argue against charges being filed or to convey their own version of the facts and the law. On Thursday, the prosecutors were said to have listened courteously <laughs> without signaling their intentions beyond what they had conveyed in an earlier letter that was sent to the former president as Trump's lawyers made their arguments to them. In a post following the meeting on his social media site, Trump said that his lawyers had, quote, a productive meeting 
with the prosecutors. He said they had explained to Smith's team that, quote, I did nothing wrong, was advised by many lawyers, and that an indictment of me would only destroy our country. Nice country you got there. Hate to see something happen to it. Last week, Trump reportedly received a so-called target letter in what the Times calls the election interference case. That would be the election theft case, New York Times. It was a clearest sign that charges could be coming. For what? The letter described three potential counts that Trump could face. Conspiracy to defraud the United States, obstruction of an official proceeding, and a Reconstruction-era civil rights charge that makes it a crime to threaten or intimidate anyone in the, quote, free exercise or enjoyment of any right, privilege, provide, right or privilege provided by the Constitution or by federal law. So as you can see, once again, the, you know, the, the crime of theft of an election does not come in in those listings, and that's why we need the media to explain it clearly. Uh, and, you know, the American people need this. So they know when accountability is being brought and for what it is being brought and why it is being brought. Another team of lawyers working at the time for Mr. Trump had a similar meeting with officials at the Justice Department last month, just days before prosecutors led by Jack Smith filed an indictment in Florida, charging the former president with illegally holding on to 31 highly sensitive classified documents after leaving the White House. Holding on to. Oh, it's like they have an allergy against the word steal, not stealing the documents, but holding on to them. I mean, they just really don't like that word in any context, it seems to me, uh, at least when Republicans are the ones doing the stealing or the holding on to. If Mr. Trump is charged in connection with his efforts to reverse his election loss, it would be an extraordinary moment in which a former president and current presidential candidate stood accused of using the powers of his own government to remain in office against the will of the voters. If only there were a word for that, for remaining in office against the will of the voters. What could that be? Mr. Trump also faces scrutiny from the uh, district attorney in Fulton County, Georgia, who is investigating his efforts to, as I said, bend the results <laughs> of the 2020 election in his favor in that state. Woo! So four New York Times journalists sure earned their keep today. Of course, I don't blame Jack Smith for any of this. He can only bring charges for crimes that actually exist. I do, however, blame Jack Smith for this, this sort of odd story that was reported last night by NBC, former Republican Congressman Mo Brooks says he is, quote, mildly surprised that special counsel Jack Smith's office has not sought a meeting with him to discuss his accusations that former President Donald Trump urged him to help, quote, and now I'm quoting Brooks here, not NBC, to help, quote, rescind the 2020 election and violate the U.S. Constitution and federal law. Brooks, who represented an Alabama district in Congress until he dropped out for an unsuccessful U.S. Senate bid in the in the uh, in the state of Alabama, he said in an interview that he would meet with prosecutors if they asked. 
Quote, yeah, if they asked me to, I'd explain what I know about it, whether it's relevant or material. I'm not sure, he said, continuing. I was shocked Trump was so blatant about it, describing it as, quote, illegal conduct. Brooks left Congress this year after he lost a primary for uh, a primary contest for one of Alabama's U.S. Senate seats. He had been backed by Trump, who then ended up withdrawing his support and backed now Senator Katie Britt instead. Brooks previously said that Trump had made requests to overturn the 2020 election as late as September of 2021, more than seven months after Trump had left the White House. And apparently, according to Brooks, Trump was very specific about what he wanted Brooks to do as a sitting congressman at the time who I guess, you know, Trump thought might somehow have the power to actually do these things, which Congress simply does not have the power to do. In any case, according to uh, according to Brooks, quote, Donald Trump wanted me to do four things. Advocate rescinding the election. Which is not actually a thing. There is no statute or constitutional clause that allows Congress to somehow rescind an election, much less seven months after leaving the White House. You just wanted to say it out loud. Yeah, I guess so. You must rescind this election. Expunge the election. Uh, Brooks continued. He wanted him to advocate physically removing Joe Biden from the White House. What? Exactly. That's nuts. So I guess he wanted the U.S. Army uh, to go into the White House and physically drag Joe Biden out of the Oval Office. Really? Brooks continued. uh, He wanted him to advocate reinstating Donald Trump as president of the United States. Again, also not a thing. And advocate a new special election for president of the United States, which is also also not a thing. (laughs) All of which Brooks noted, I guess, to his credit Uh, quote, violate the U.S. Constitution and federal law. Now, I don't know if asking a sitting U.S. congressman uh, to actually do those things is actually a crime in and of itself. I don't know. That's above my pay grade. So maybe that's why Jack Smith has yet to speak to Mo Brooks. But it seems pretty strange in that it at least, you know, would go to Trump's frame of mind about this whole matter. He has reportedly gone back to uh, what uh, Trump was discussing in the White House as early as February of 2020 to help sort of establish his frame of mind back when Trump was under the impression that, Uh, He wanted the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security to go out and tell everyone what a wonderful job they have done of securing America's elections. And then all of a sudden the covid epidemic hit. And, uh, oh, now he decided that uh, our elections are terrible and um, mail in ballots will will be the death of us. And that's how Democrats are going to steal the election or whatever. So he went all the way back to February of 2020. You would think he might have some interest in where Donald Trump's frame of mind was seven months after leaving office. Also, by the way, Brooks spoke at the rally at the Ellipse just before Trump on January 6th, which in and of itself seems reason enough to have interviewed him. And in fact, Brooks appeared to advocate violence 
that day in his remarks to a certain extent. Before Trump spoke, Brooks spoke, uh, said from the stage that it was time for, quote, American patriots to start taking down names and kicking ass. Remember that? Oh, yes. He told NBC after he got done explaining to Trump that those four things that he wanted from them, again, seven months after leaving office, violated the law and the Constitution. Uh, He told Trump, quote, that uh, he uh, he, Trump withdrew his his endorsement in the uh, in Brooks's GOP primary for U.S. Senate and endorsed my opponent. He says, so I'm mildly surprised none of these people have made inquiries about the details of this. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Uh, Brooks first made these allegations in March of last year after Trump dropped his endorsement of Brooks, uh, who contends that his rejection of Trump's, quote, illegal requests led him to uh, reverse his support. Trump confirmed parts of Brooks's accusations in a post to his Truth Social account in August of last year. Uh, so I don't know what to make of, the, uh, of Jack Smith not interviewing Mo Brooks here, since he seems to be doing such a thorough job otherwise, as far as we can tell from reporting. Uh, but I thought you should know about it. Meanwhile, at the state level, particularly in Michigan as of now, and hopefully soon in Georgia, the effort to bring accountability for attempts to steal the election in that state and events surrounding those crimes have begun to emerge at least a little bit more clearly, including, as noted, with the uh, last week's indictment of those 16 fake electors in Michigan by Attorney General Dana Nessel each of whom are now facing years in prison for that attempt to help Trump steal the election from voters in that state. Well, in related news today, while we have uh, spent a lot of time in recent weeks and, and months, in fact, and years at this point, discussing the Coffee County, Georgia voting software breach by right wing MAGA operatives led by Trump attorney Sidney Powell, we've also reported that there were Similar breaches in other states as well, for example, in Colorado, where Mesa County clerk Tina Peters has been charged with seven felonies and three misdemeanors related to her breaking into the voting equipment room in the middle of the night with accomplices and making unlawful copies of voting system uh, hard drives and tabulator uh, software and et cetera. And that there have been similar breaches in states like Michigan and Pennsylvania. Well, along those lines, in Michigan, you may recall last summer, uh, last August, in the run-up to the November 2022 midterm elections, there was a probe into the various breaches of voting system software in several different Michigan townships at the time. The break-ins, again, like in Georgia, like in Colorado, uh, followed the 2020 election. And among the people said to have participated in those breaches in Michigan that was being investigated uh, was a guy by the name of Matthew DiPerno, who would then actually go on to win the GOP nomination in Michigan to run against Dana Nessel, the incumbent Democrat, for attorney general. So when that happened, when uh, DePerno became the candidate, 
Nessel appointed a special prosecutor to take over the investigation so she would not be seen as investigating her own political opponent. Yeah, it's a totally normal thing to say, hey, I have a conflict of interest here. I am running in a campaign against this person. I cannot be investigating them. You take it on, independent prosecutor. Which is how, by the way, Jack Smith came to be a special counsel at the federal level when Donald Trump declared himself to be a candidate last year. Same concept. Just after the uh, November elections. By the way, had he not, uh, you know, it probably would have been Merrick Garland continuing to slow walk. I wonder if Donald Trump... Think uh, made the the right decision there. Anyway, DePerno would go on to lose to Nestle in November, along with all of the other Republican MAGA wingnuts that the GOP had put up uh, for state statewide races in Michigan, for governor, attorney general, secretary of state. But today, as reported by Bridge, Michigan. A key suspect in that special counsel investigation of the alleged plot to illegally access Michigan voting machines following the 2020 presidential election. A key suspect says she has been indicted in that long running probe and expects to be arraigned next week. Quote, my attorney has been informed that I have been indicted by D.J. Hilson. That's the special prosecutor who was named in Michigan. That, according to Stephanie Lambert, on Wednesday on a right-wing podcast where she bashed the pending criminal action against her, she said, quote, I'm not losing any sleep over this. Lambert is a Metro Detroit attorney who has worked for 2020 election deniers across the country. She said, quote, I know I've done absolutely nothing illegal. She is one of nine suspects that Nessel referred to the special prosecutor last uh, last year, citing an unalleged tabulator tampering plot. Court records show Hilson convened a secret grand jury to review the evidence. It is the grand jury that would decide any indictments in that case. In a Thursday morning email, uh, Hilson said he could, quote, neither confirm nor deny the existence of a grand jury or any indictments because of state law prohibiting disclosure in such cases until defendants are in custody. Other suspects in the case include a former state rep, a sitting county sheriff, a few of the clowns from that cyber ninjas outfit, my friends over there, the ones that couldn't figure out how to do a post-election audit in Phoenix, Arizona, and the uh, the failed former Republican Attorney General Matt DiPerno. We do not know yet if they have been indicted, as Stephanie Lambert claims that she has been in this investigation, but we may soon find out. Now, in last year's request for a special prosecutor, the AG's office alleged that Stephanie Lambert and others, quote, orchestrated a coordinated plan to gain access to the voting machines in multiple jurisdictions. The suspects allegedly took, they just took the ballot tabulators from several different townships in Barrie, Roscommon, Missaukee counties. They just took the tabulators, took it back to Oakland County, and there Michigan State Police contend the machines were, quote, broken into for, quote, tests, according to court filings. Lambert, who did not respond to a request for the story by Bridge, Michigan, is apparently also mired in other legal battles, and she sounds like a peach, by the way. She, uh, a cybersecurity expert, sued her 
last week in Detroit federal court alleging that she refused to pay him and was, quote, furious after he reviewed Pennsylvania election data for her, but found no evidence of fraud. (laughs) From uh, Michigan's public radio uh, just a few days ago, a, a Michigan attorney already under criminal investigation is being sued in federal court by a cybersecurity firm she hired after the 2020 presidential election. Stephanie Lambert is one of several attorneys who made claims of fraud rejected by a succession of judges and investigations. After 2020, she's being investigated in Michigan for allegedly illegally obtaining vote tabulation machines. The new civil suit filed last week against her alleges that Lambert and a financial backer, a guy by the name of Bill Beckenberg, hired the firm XRV Vision to investigate possible election irregularities in Antrim County, Michigan, and Fulton County, Pennsylvania. Don't be confused. <laughs> There's two different Fulton counties, at least two. One is in Pennsylvania. The other one may come up with uh, some frequency in the days ahead in Georgia. But XR Vision, who was hired to investigate both of those counties to look at the machines, they found no zero irregularities in either of the counties. The lawsuit says despite finding no evidence of fraud, Lambert asked the company to claim that they found cheat codes in the software uh, used in the election system and that they found evidence of remote or local hacking of the election systems. XR Vision refused to do so. Good for them. The suit claims that Lambert and Backenberg became, quote, furious about it when the cybersecurity firm informed them that there were no voting irregularities in either county. How many times do we need to investigate the same election over and over and over again by how many different groups who just can't find irregularities, and yet Donald Trump is still pretending that he believes the election was stolen from him. Well, I guess the lesson here is don't expect to be paid by a MAGA attorney if you don't manufacture the results that they want. Afterwards, the two allegedly told government officials in three different states that the president and chief technology officer of XR, of XR Vision and his firm were, quote, incompetent and, quote, secretly working as malicious (laughs) operatives for the federal government. The uh, suit also alleges that the pair refused to pay them. They seek more than $10 million in damages. And, by the way, the story notes that Lambert is also one of nine attorneys also being investigated by the Michigan Attorney Grievance Commission related to a lawsuit they filed to Uh, seeking to overturn the results of the presidential election, to overturn the results Mm -hmm. of the presidential election in Michigan, despite no evidence of widespread fraud. Meanwhile, in the tabulator tampering case that Lambert says she has now been indicted for, she's asking the Michigan Court of Appeals to overturn a lower court interpretation of state law, arguing that she and other suspects accused had lawfully probed voting machines, quote, at the behest of county clerks and county sheriffs. In fact, the lower court had determined that Michigan law allows access to these voting systems only with the authorization of the secretary of state or by a court order. 
rejecting Lambert's arguments that a local election clerk could provide access. (laughs) In her, well, in some states you can, but apparently not in Michigan. In her uh, Wednesday podcast appearance, she uh, lambasted the special prosecutor, Hilson, for using the grand jury to issue indictments instead of making a charging decision by himself. Quote, He thought he could get the grand jury to do his dirty work and insulate himself from a suit, but that is false, Lambert said. He misrepresented the law to them, she charged. I'm totally going to sue him for doing this. You go, girl. We'd love to see the discovery on that one. There you go. Meanwhile, by the way, in Fulton County, Georgia today, barricades have now begun to go up around the Fulton County Courthouse, where as soon as this coming Monday... District Attorney Fonnie Willis has signaled she could be bringing her own indictments against Trump and a whole bunch of other people as part of her investigation into, as the New York Times reported it, Trump's attempts to bend the results of the 2020 election in his favor. All right, quick break and much more broadcast ahead today, including Desi Doyen's latest Green News report. Oh, what will she talk about today? (laughs) I can't imagine. Find out soon. Don't go away. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But, of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Shake your money maker. Shake your money maker. Yeah, shake it. Shake your money maker. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, Speaking of Democrats not being uh, very good at messaging and, uh, you know, not very good at helping the American people understand what is going on. And in this case, what they have actually done for the American people. A few points of note today. The economic recovery gained momentum in the spring as buoyant consumer spending and resurgent business Investment helped once again to keep a recession at bay, according to the Times. Gross domestic product adjusted for inflation rose at 2.4 percent annual rate in the second quarter. The Commerce Department Commerce Department said on Thursday that is up from a 2 percent growth rate in the first three months of the year and far stronger than forecasters expected a few months ago. Quote, if you're looking for a working definition of resilient, Look no further than the American economy, said the chief economist at RSM. This is absolutely rock solid. Now, of course, that's the New York Times, you know, those lefties at the New York Times. (laughs) But even over on Fox News, Fox, their business channel, apparently, even Maria Bartiromo. uh, Cannot deny this resilient economy. Yep. This, Maria, 2.4% percent. Wow. This is the first read, the advanced read for second quarter GDP. 
estimate was only for 1.8%. Talk about a strong economy. Uh, there goes that recession talk, right? Uh, and what's interesting here is the expectation was we were going to have a weaker Q2, this first read, than we had in Q1. Remember, we had a 2% read in Q1 for this year. We were thinking we were going to have a slowdown. It's the opposite, 2.4%. And, you know, even the range, um, this is in the high end of the range uh, that economists were looking for. So that's pretty darn interesting. Yeah, pretty darn interesting. Yeah. Even even over on Fox News, imagine that. The uh, persistent strength of the economy has surprised economists, the Times notes, many of whom thought that high inflation and the Federal Reserve's effort to stamp it out through aggressive interest rate increases would result in a recession or at least a slowdown in the first half of the year. Looks like that's not happening. The job market has stayed very strong. Unemployment is now still near or beyond 50-year lows. Personal income after taxes and adjusted for inflation rose at a 2.5% rate in the second quarter, and inflation has slowed significantly, just in case you have not heard. Consumer prices rose at a 2.6% annual rate in the second quarter, which is way, way down from the previous numbers and pretty much the average rate of inflation at this point. Yeah, but weirdly, no one's talking about that like they were obsessed with how the temporary inflation came up after the pandemic. When, of course. And they went nuts over that, as White, if it was never going to change. White House officials pointed to the report as evidence of uh, that President Biden's economic policies, including investments in infrastructure and green energy, were paying off. And boy, howdy. If these numbers came in during Donald Trump's presidency, I mean, we would be out in the streets celebrating at this point because Republicans would not stop talking about it. White House, uh, Mr. Biden said in a statement that the data was evidence of, quote, Bidenomics in action as to those investments in green energy and infrastructure, specifically green energy, amid the hottest temperatures ever lived through by human beings on planet Earth. AP reported over the weekend that Joe Biden and the Democrats now almost one year old climate law is already, quote, turbocharging clean energy technology in the U.S. On August 16 of this year, after the hottest June ever recorded, and now uh, after July uh, is what is almost certain to be the hottest month ever recorded globally. Not just the hottest July, but the hottest month ever, as long as human beings have walked the planet. America's long-sought response to climate change, the Inflation Reduction Act, turns one year old on August 16. AP notes that in less than a year, it has prompted investment in a massive build-out of battery and EV manufacturing across the states. Nearly 80 major clean energy manufacturing facilities have been announced, an investment equal to the previous seven years combined, according to the American Clean Power Association. Quote, it seems like every week, There's a new factory facility somewhere being announced that, according to Jesse Jenkins, a professor at Princeton and leader of a project which has been uh, analyzing the, the new law, quote, we've been talking about bringing manufacturing jobs back to America for my entire life, he said. We're finally doing it. 
That's pretty exciting, he said. Gosh, elections have consequences, like reshoring domestic manufacturing. Only if people know about them, however, which is why I think it's necessary to let people know. The IRA is America's most significant response to climate change after decades of lobbying by oil, gas and coal interests stalled any action while carbon emissions climbed, creating a hotter, more dangerous world. The law is designed to spur clean energy build out on a scale that will bend the arc of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. It also aims to build domestic supply chains to reverse China's and other nations' early domination of this vital sector. And apparently it is all going well to date, even if it's uh, still in the very early stages. One of the targets of the law is cleaner transportation, the largest source of climate pollution in the U.S. Well, Siemens, one of the biggest tech companies in the world, produces charging stations for EVs, which is said to be driving the demand for batteries much higher. Well, Siemens USA has invested some $260 million in battery or battery storage projects, much of that following the adoption of the IRA. The law also encourages more of the type of batteries that feed electricity to the grid. When the wind is when the wind's not blowing or at night when the sun ain't shining, it could put the storage business, the battery storage business, on the same trajectory that solar has blazed, uh, blazed a decade ago. The North America Policy Associate uh, at Bloomberg NEF pointed out that sales at the largest manufacturer of solar panels in the in the U.S. First Solar skyrocketed. After the law was passed, creating a huge backlog of orders, quote, this is years and years of manufacturing capacity that's already booked out because people are bullish about the U.S. produced solar market. The uh, Princeton professor Jenkins said, I think we're about to see quite a flood of investments in wind and solar related manufacturing in the U.S., he added that 2026 and 2028 is actually when the country will see the law's full impact. So a lot more to come on that in the uh, in the days and months and I guess years ahead. But this landmark law is serving its purpose, serving the purpose of what it was meant to do. This four hundred billion dollar investment in climate. But in truth, it's going to be much higher than that. Because uh, businesses, it's sort of the open-ended way that it's structured, allows businesses to continue obtaining funding to build out our clean energy future. Uh, so this is huge, and it's working. Even though not one single Republican voted for it, they are now trying to repeal it despite its success, despite the fact that it was... Uh, passed by only Democrats. And they're trying to take credit for the projects that are going on in their districts. As some 170 million Americans, meanwhile, or nearly 40 percent of the U.S. population is today under heat advisories, President Biden, speaking at the White House, announced new steps on Thursday to protect Americans from the extreme heat and help mitigate climate change. He was particularly critical of those like Republican Governor Greg Abbott of Texas, who recently signed a measure barring local jurisdictions from mandating cooling breaks for construction and farm workers and others who work outside 
uh, during now more often than ever extreme heat amid our quickly worsening climate crisis. Experts say extreme heat is already costing America $100 billion a year and hits our most vulnerable the hardest, seniors, people experiencing homelessness who have nowhere to turn, disadvantaged communities that are the least able to recover from climate disasters and is threatening farms, fisheries, forests that so many families depend on to make a living. But none of this is inevitable. From day one of my administration, We've taken unprecedented action to combat the climate crisis that's causing this. Last year, my Department of Labor created the first ever national program to protect workers from heat stress. Today, I'm announcing additional steps to help states and cities deal with the consequences of extreme heat. First, I've asked Acting Labor Secretary Julie Sue to issue a heat hazard alert. It clarifies that workers have a federal heat-related have federal heat-related protections. We should be protecting workers from hazardous conditions, and we will. And those states where they do not, I'm going to be calling them out, where they refuse to protect these workers in the awful heat. Meanwhile, the U.S. Forest Service will award more than $1 billion in grants to help cities and towns plant trees that in the long term will help repel the heat and expand access to green spaces so families have a place to go to cool off and to bring down the temperature in cities. The Department of Housing and Urban Development is providing billions to communities to make buildings more efficient and to make more heat, make them more heat resistant, open cooling centers in, for residential areas and in the cities that the communities can go to to be safe. The Department of Interior is using infrastructure funding to expand water storage capacity in the western states to deal with the impacts of future droughts that are made every, all this more extreme heat, this extreme heat more consequential. Not a single one of them, not a single Republican voted, voted for the Inflation Reduction Act, which had all this money in it for climate, which provides funding to, to combat climate change. And now many of them are trying to repeal those provisions. But we're not going to let that happen. Part of the reason we're here today is to get word out so state and local governments know these resources are available and uses them. We want the American people to know help is here and we're going to make it available to anyone who needs it. There you go. Sing it, Joe. Thank you for helping to get the word out. We're trying to do our part as well. Indeed. On a similar note, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report is up next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. <laughs> The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com/donate. That's bradblog.com/donate. And thanks. Okay. Yep. A uh, bit of breaking news over the uh, the break there. Let me check it out. We'll get back to you on it right after our latest Green News Report. We would not be seeing these unprecedented extreme weather events in the absence of human-caused warming from the burning of fossil fuels and carbon pollution. Extreme heat waves in U.S. and Europe virtually impossible without human-caused climate change, study finds. 
Extreme heat plus pollution doubles the risk of fatal heart attacks. Plus, how big of a deal do you think this announcement is? A big deal. Major U.S. automakers unite to build national EV charging network. All of those big deals and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. I was just on an oil rig in Texas. It's the most patriotic thing I've ever seen. Yeah, sure. Destroy the United States. God bless America. This is your... Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I don't know how many hot tubs there are for uh, residents of Florida, but it sounds like they don't need to buy one now. No, they certainly do not. But they might want a hot tub time machine. (laughs) Waters off Florida topped 100 degrees for two straight days. And if verified, that could be a new all-time high world record. Much of the northern hemisphere remains in the grip of weeks-long heat waves with stunning but predictable impacts around the Mediterranean with temperatures around 120 degrees, fast-spreading heat and wind-driven wildfires have forced new evacuations and tragically killed dozens in Algeria as they were trying to escape the flames. In Catania, Sicily, officials say the prolonged extreme heat has melted underground cables, knocking out power and water to hundreds of thousands. I guess you didn't think of that when you've been calling for them to bury the power lines out here in the U.S., did you? Good point. Cereal crop production in southern Europe is also predicted to fall by as much as 60% over last year's yields due to the heat. Phoenix's record streak of consecutive days over 110 degrees still ain't over as we go to air, with the city on track to become the first major U.S. city to see an average monthly temperature higher than 100 degrees. City buses are being used as mobile cooling centers. Hospitals are filling body bags with ice to treat heat victims. As the heat drags on, municipalities across the country are racing to install long-term adaptation measures like cool roofs reflective pavement, and planting street trees. Sadly, Arizona's record streak of extreme heat and drought is testing the ability of the state's saguaro cactus to survive, Uh both in the wild and in urban areas. The iconic symbol of the American West is adapted to heat, but critical summer monsoon rains have failed to arrive this year. Conservationists report the long-lived cacti are losing branches and collapsing. Not good. Several new studies this week focus Focus on health threats from the heat. An analysis found that the combination of extreme heat and air pollution may double the risk of fatal heart attacks. Two new studies find warmer overall temperatures are expanding the range of disease-carrying mosquitoes and ticks, which are spreading farther north. A new report by World Weather Attribution scientists finds that the record-shattering heat waves this summer in southern Europe, North America, and China would have been, quote, virtually impossible without climate change. The scientists warn that unless the world rapidly stops burning fossil fuels that cause man-made climate change, these extreme heat events will become much more frequent, occurring every two to five years. I think it's going to be more frequent than that. But climate scientists have repeatedly 
repeatedly urged speeding up the transition away from fossil fuels to prevent warming and its impact from getting even worse. Here's Dr. Leah Stokes on CBS News. This isn't like a permanent situation. If we stopped burning fossil fuels, the temperature would start to stabilize. But unfortunately, until we do that, there's a lot of warming in the system and it's going to keep getting worse. I'm not interested in talking about how it's impossible or how it's not real. It's real. It's happening now. And we know what to do to stop it. I'm interested in talking about how impossible it is. But there is some good news. Uh Toyota has announced a new electric vehicle battery chemistry that it says cuts costs in half and can go more than 700 miles on a single charge. Really? The European Union passed a law to blanket its highways with fast EV chargers by the end of 2025. Cool. And in the U.S., seven major automakers, including BMW, GM, and Honda, have joined forces to build 30,000 chargers in an expansive EV fast charging network across the U.S. and Canada that will integrate restaurants and retail stores. Impossible. We'll never do it. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. It wouldn't be patriotic. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Pandora, TuneIn, Apple, Google, or Amazon Podcasts. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on Facebook, Mastodon, and the website formerly known as Twitter at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Impossible. Yep. Thank you very much, uh, Desi Doyen. That uh, breaking news, according to uh, a bunch of outlets now, a third, a third defendant, apparently a maintenance worker, has been charged alongside Donald Trump and his valet in the stolen documents case in Florida. The charges were not immediately revealed, but also, apparently, AP reports that Trump himself faces additional charges in the classified documents case, including allegations that he asked the staffer or a staffer to delete camera footage Mm. to obstruct the probe. That's going to leave a mark. All right, we got to get out more, I suspect, in the days ahead. (laughs) My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyne, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com, a service made possible by those of you kind enough to donate at bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks, Mastodons, and site formerly known as Twitter, you'll find me at the Brad Blog. See you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1918. That was the day Miners President Ginger Goodwin was shot dead in British Columbia. His murder sparked Canada's first general strike in Vancouver the following week. Goodwin had arrived in British Columbia eight years earlier and found work in the Cumberland Mines on Vancouver Island. He considered working conditions in the mines absolutely appalling and began advocating for safety and organizing miners. He was soon blacklisted after participating in a two-year coal miner's strike for recognition on the island. 
he moved to trail British Columbia, where he emerged as a Socialist Party candidate in the 1916 election. He was also elected president of the International Union of Mine, Mill and Smelter Workers District 6, the vice president of British Columbia's Federation of Labor, and the head of the local Trades and Labor Council. He openly expressed his opposition to Canada's entry into the war, stating that workers were now employed in killing each other. He was found unfit for military duty after a medical exam. That was until he led a strike for the eight-hour day at Consolidated Mining and Smelting. It was the world's largest lead and zinc smelter and a key munitions producer during the war. His status was quickly changed to make him eligible for conscription. He fled to the Cumberland Hills, where he hid out for months to avoid the draft. And on this day, Goodwin was shot dead by a Dominion Police Special Constable. He was brought back to Cumberland, where thousands turned out for his funeral in a mile-long procession. The Vancouver labor movement was outraged by Goodwin's murder and called a one-day general strike on August 2nd to protest his killing. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two.